Greetings and welcome to Leading the Way with Jill Robinson. Today, I interview Ross Binney, Chief Brand Officer of the Cleveland Orchestra, to talk with him about their Center for Future Audiences program. It's a decade old. Millions of dollars of investment have fueled their program design that is innovative and hundreds of thousands of young audiences who are attending classical music concerts at Blossom Music Center, at Severance Music Center. We talk about those audiences, who they are, the programs, what they are, and what it means to programs like the traditional subscription, loyalty, aging audiences, and more. Ross is an old friend. I hope you will enjoy our conversation. Thanks for listening. Ross Binney, I am so pleased to be talking with you today for our Leading the Way podcast. You're the chief brand officer at the mighty, and I mean that most seriously, Cleveland Orchestra, one of the biggest, most important in the world. I'm so grateful that you would take time to talk with me today. Thank you, Jill. I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's a bit auspicious saying that about the Cleveland Orchestra, but uh, I suppose that's the 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 cross we have to bear. It is the truth about the Cleveland Orchestra. And actually, one of the things that I learned when I was with um, members of your team in Pittsburgh for the League of American Orchestras conference this year um, is that the Cleveland Orchestra has a sound studio or recording studio that dates back to a century ago and was the innovator in recording. Can you say say something? Yeah, about yeah. That when when they um, when they rebuilt Severance Hall, um, when they built Severance Hall, I should say, and when it opened, uh, we were, I think, the second orchestra behind Detroit to 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 make um, to be on the radio, and um, uh, we built it with a recording studio in mind, so we were ready for 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 that that path. Wow. And a hundred years later, um, this is not the focus of our conversation today, but there are lots of things we could be talking about for certain with that kind of legacy. But a hundred years later, you're innovating on the digital side with um, a program that you're the creative engine behind. It's called Remind, Remind we've, Us. We've got a, we've got a, a digital platform. It's called Adela. It's named after Adela Prentice-Hughes, who actually formed the orchestra back it's a nod back to those days of the recording, but she yeah. she was uh, she was the lady that put this orchestra together for Cleveland, and um, so our platform's called Adela, and we've made over forty productions now of 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 concerts that started in the pandemic. But our goal is to just keep going on. It's pretty exciting work. I love that side of. I mean, that's something I didn't think I'd be doing, being an executive producer for these shows and 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 helping script some of the content, but. It's a balance of showing the concerts and making making features uh, that tell our story, tell the story of the great music that we put on. Yeah, it's so beautifully done. I just would say to everyone, it's offered on subscription, so I don't know where the general public would get a sneak preview, but it is so beautifully produced, and it's like a PBS show almost in its features and um, insights about the music. Well, well. We, we put a lot of time into it for sure, and... Um, uh, they can just go to Adela.live and they can sneak peek at the trailers and there's there's okay. there's some free there's some free material up there. So um I recommend but, everybody do that. 
Um, hey, listen, you, that actually is a good segue. Um, you and I have known each other for a long, long time, starting in Detroit. You obviously are not an American, but you've worked in American orchestras now for a long time, 25 years? Uh, 99, 24, 25 years. Yes, this will be my 25th year I'm in now. I've only worked in the two. Um, I started in theatre in the UK and I was involved in stand-up comic venues and when I was when I was young and hip. And then, got, and then, as you as you age, you probably find a maturity about orchestras that you enjoy. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. and and so I um I followed the I followed the audience path into the orchestra world. But for for twenty five years, I've been selling tickets one way or other, or trying to trying to increase the engagement with our audiences. Yeah, you, you know, I came the other way around. Orchestral music, this center for future audiences that we're going to be talking about. I so dig um, because classical music, I think, um, you know, is timeless and ageless, but you are right. You are right. Um, It is both perceived and there is complete and utter reality, complete and utter reality that arts and cultural audiences, classical music audiences have fit within a specific Demography, haven't they? They've been, if I'm being um, stereotypical and probably Com- completely well, and ironically, back to my my British roots. Yeah, um, I find it, and I don't know. You've got you've got global clients all over all over the world, but I found it very odd how um, how stereotypical the American orchestra audiences were about this. It's a sort of it's more. It's more elite than than in the UK, you know. So in the UK, it's sort of jeans and t-shirts on a Sunday afternoon, and I'm going down to the Barbican. And well, here it just seemed to be like, and so I came from a background like this is. There's no economic barrier to any of this. In fact, our number one audience segment is is teachers, right? They're certainly not economically the the richest people. So I, I always found like. Why is this happening here? What 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 is it about the U.S. market that that has tra- changed it completely um, to be even more um, bow tied? I can't think of a better word to put way yeah, to put great. it. But you know what I mean. You know? Great, yeah. Mrs. Gotrocks is what I would say. <laughs> I think it's philanthropy, isn't it? Isn't it there? I mean, there's. I, I, I think it's largely that the 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 um, the government funding, obviously, and in. in as as it exists <laughs> these days in in other parts of the world certainly certainly takes some of those barriers out um uh so so price points and philanthropy you're right, it, right. it's a completely different animal the observation i've made in in our work in europe and the uk is just that there's a cultural um canada too a bit there's a cultural um expectation that arts and culture is part of the, you know, part of communities. It doesn't change the economics. The economics are getting harder there too. Absolutely. Um, uh, but here, you know, it was founded without it being the sector was founded with the assistance of um, great philanthropists without the, um, the funding from government until, you know, the NEA was founded. And even then, in the mid 20th century, that funding didn't represent the amount that uh, we see in other parts of the world. So the construct is really different. And so 
the Center for Future Audiences. This is quite something. Um, it's a decade old, and it is designed to take the mic here and just tell us about the mission and vision of the Center for Future Audiences at the Cleveland um, So, so when I when I when I first came to down to Cleveland, um, I had this I had this vision that um, again back to this this construct that that there is no there is no barrier to the music. It's not like you have to go and and learn astrophysics to come come and enjoy it. Now you may you may not like it and you may not love it. There's no excuse for not trying it, right? And when I got to Cleveland, I sort of uh, without hands down, there was uh, I believe we had the oldest audience in the country. <laughs> ha- you know, I just um, and we had we um, we had a donor who was interested, the uh, Milton Tamar Maltz of the Maltz Family Foundation. Uh, wanted to, did make a huge gift uh, at the time to our endowment. It's a huge just, gift, period. A huge gift for $20 million and yeah. um, to support the, the creation of this construct that, that, that was to just break down every barrier, open any door, um, try and get young people specifically. But I was interested that the, the concept of future audience is important. Why the people... Of Cleveland have not tried the Cleveland Orchestra, and they're insanely proud. I mean, I'm blessed. I'm chief brand officer. It's really rather easy when, when, um, uh, well, it's relatively easy when you when when you have this incredible outpouring of support from the community. Um, I always say, for this orchestra uh, to be on in the conversation with some of the great orchestras of the world you look down that if you google the great orchestras of the world cleveland is usually on that list somewhere completely um but one of these cities is not like the others you know um uh we were we're i think it's 43rd in the country now in terms of size so the outpouring of support for an organization so being chief brand officer helps and i just thought well then we should open the doors to everybody in this community to to create that that access and start as many young people primarily on their journeys to to love us as much as anybody in this community you can sit in a cab from the airport when i first came here you know I was, it's oh you're going to cleveland i love the cleveland west you go no no but i love them right you know the, the, right. the cab driver it's and, team or it's like i mean you have major institutions in cleveland you have sports teams you have the, yeah, the clinic and, and, yeah, right. Absolutely, and right. and and we're 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 absolutely up there, and so the the whole idea here was to use that money to to um, research and and break down barriers, take out if we had to bus people to concerts, we would if we if we um, had to take the price point out of the equation, especially for the young people. Um, make sure there's no excuses. My my goal is always make sure you've 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 Tick the Cleveland Orchestra off your bucket list, <laughs> and um, and that's what we set out to do. It's quite something, actually. You you know, on my career is as we've known each other a long time. It's almost thirty years in this in this industry of nonprofit arts and culture. Came from the orchestra business, and when I began to um, learn about what you've been up to, heard about it over time, but now it's a decade, and it's millions of dollars worth of investment and extraordinary results, hundreds of thousands of people um, 
I, I thought, boy, oh boy, this, um, we really need to shine a light on this. So you, I want to, I want to talk about the various programs that are in it that, that speak to young, to, from young people to just new models that you're really innovating on. But you, um, the Cleveland Orchestra and we at TRG are going to try to unpack what's actually happened with with these audiences over time. That's exactly right. I think um, so. So just for some some perspective, uh, we've got we've had over four hundred thousand young people, for example, whether they're students, whether they're under eighteen, and we'll talk about those programs in a minute. Um, come through, come through the various programs we've got. I have no idea. I'm at a, I'm at a sort of crossroads. Um, so it's we, we launched it in October of 2010 at a press conference with Mr. Maltz and and Tamar, and um, he, he 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 was on TV, and I remember him saying things like uh, 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 the uh, when I come to the orchestra, all I see is gray hair and no hair, and I'm like, oh, great. And then he says, and then he, we're having a lunch for him afterwards. And I go up and say, thank you for doing the press conference. This is, this is really important. And he says, good luck. I don't know how you're going to do it. And um, 400,000 people later, I'm like, great. And the question I get asked most of the time is, so are they still coming to concerts, these young people? Are they, are they going to be subscribers? Are they going to be this? Are they going to be that? And I was like, good question. I should ask Jill. You know, because I don't know. What's happened? And even if even if they've left Cleveland and they've gone somewhere else, great. They they hopefully they're not afraid of the orchestra. That's 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 the goal. Yeah. Well, the, you know, part, yeah, part of the part of the fabric of our education system with school concerts and other things that have gone by the wayside in so many communities is exactly this: just familiarity with it. So if if nothing else, then that. But yes, we're going to talk today. And then unpack the data and look at demography, look at migration, look at um, what you know what we call loyalty or the recurring revenue or recurring attendance of these different segments to see, so that we can tell a story. Come next spring, you and I will get back together again and tell um, uh, this audience and 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 hope it's good news. Eh? Feel even. <laughs> It's not like even it's good. It's educational if it's not. Totally is the it's the point, right? And <laughs> right, right. And and I know that you're interested in that too, and you've got the sense of humor and um, all of it to to carry off all of the narratives, no matter no matter what they are. Okay, so in preparation for this, I kind of bucketed um, your programs, which are there's like a half a dozen or eight of them, but there are. Programs for young people under 18s, that's a massive one. You can start wherever you want, but maybe there. And then there are programs for students that are college student in, in, in orientation. And then there are these um, super innovative, innovative um, uh, programs that are really leading the way as Today, we're talking about the death of the subscription and new models for how we create frequency and loyalty that we'll talk about. So should we start with the under 18s? I think, I think that's the place to start. It's, it, 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 so so of the, of the 400,000 people that have been through these programs, young people, 
it's um, half of them have come through to, through our summer venue at Blossom Music Center, and the other half have come through Severance Music Center um, okay, so as students. So, so half of them are in the under 18s bucket. Yeah, Blossom Music Center paragraph just described outdoor venue, popular music, and orchestral music. Also, yeah. yeah, we share we we own the venue, Live Nation. Live Nation program the the big gigs and we program pops and and classical concerts as a as, as a summer outdoors. If you haven't been, it is unbelievably beautiful. It's thousands and thousands of people. Long. It's in the middle of Cuyahoga National Park. It is absolutely gorgeous, and it was built for the orchestra. It's, it was um, it was opened in '68, I believe. My um, late business partner Rick Lester worked at the Cleveland Orchestra all those years ago. He was marketed right. He was in my job yes, back then. He was Excellent. back in, yeah, he was. It and so there's Blossom, and then there's also Severance Hall or Severance Music Center, which is the when we opened, we were talking about Severance, and it's that's right. That's our that's our September through May winter venue. Yes, essentially. Right. Okay, so under 18s programs started at Blossom Outdoor Popular. The summer, the summer of 2011, we introduced under 18s free. The goal was, um, the, the goal was, I mean, my wife and I were sitting out having a picnic when I was, when I first came down here and uh, the summer before. And she said, you know, sitting out on the, on the, um, on the lawn with our, for kids this should be free for the kids this is this is the most i mean for 50 bucks uh we can have a great night out with a picnic and the kids can run around and we can enjoy a night out together it's better value than a movie and and it's sort of um she she had far more plans than 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 that but the 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 notion of this just made a ton of sense economically as well because it's not necessarily the kids I want. It's actually those parents, the young, the young parents who are buying tickets for the very first time. And, and after that first season, about, um, uh, we, we, did, we, we did about 13,000 um, uh, under-18s free that summer. And 50% of those households uh, were brand new. Uh, we're just trying it out. So, so it, was creating a, it was creating some real energy. And, and the... The next fall, we introduced it at, at Severance Music Center to um, to our Sunday concerts and our Friday concerts under ratings free. Um, the the parents have a little more of a white knuckle approach to that. They're a bit more nervous about, about the yeah, Severance. Severance, but it's the inside situation. It's like formal. It's you know. Yeah. Did you change anything operationally for those? Concerts or were they identical? There was a, there was a bit of there was a bit of internal panic about um, uh, what was going to happen at Blossom about noise and kids running around, but it hasn't been. It just it just hasn't been. It's it's a beautiful lawn. Um, the the people sort of get it most, oh, well, uh, and and, it, and at Severance we've had very very few incidents of disruption so um over over these years so i i can't say we actually did but there was the usual orchestral panic about how how it's going how it's going to go and it was a it was a pleasant surprise you know the um in the theater world relaxed performances have become a real asset are you familiar with relaxed performances in theater not really no it's they're happening in they 
I remember learning about them in the UK first, but they're happening in the US um, and North America too. And they are performances that are designed to enable people who have um, physical realities that might cause them to need to be not formal. So um, it can be, uh, you know, I'm, it can be anything from I might need to use a light to see, I might need to not sit, I might have Tourette's, I might, whatever it is. And I don't know, but I assume that children are welcomed in that kind of environment, children who might, you know, need that same kind of freedom and flexibility. So I was curious, you know, the orchestral field is notoriously stuffy and formal. It hasn't always been that way, but we've evolved to that. And Severance is a very formal place. So I was just curious whether or not, and I'm hearing no. I'm also curious about how you spent to communicate from a marketing point of view, these free, did you tag it or did you campaign it? We campaigned it. Um, okay. We, um, we, we, it's in all the materials that uh, it's Sundays and Fridays and to offset some of the, the panic, we still haven't moved to Thursdays, which is our traditional board member opening night and our Saturday nights are much more formal date night, if you like. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and Sundays we've always found the, the, the skew in the audience was older and younger because um, uh-huh. they're Sunday matinees. Yep. And the Fridays I treat as, as more of a happy hour sort of. <laughs> if there was going to be a relaxed night, it would probably be on a Friday. So, uh-huh. Yeah, um, good. Okay. Even though the concept may be the same, the branding of each day, is it, it just feels slightly different when you're in the space. Yeah, well, and that's part of brand, right? What is right. it that I experience while I'm there? Yeah. Okay, so you launch in 11, by 12, you're in Severance Music Center, and you, so I don't know if there's more that you want to say about the under-18s. No, it just, just it, it grew and grew at its height. We've had, um, you know, uh, we like to say by the end of the, the by about the eighteen nineteen season, we were at our peak with, and we were saying, you know, 20% of our audience was under the age of 25. Wow. Um, and that's... That's so student different. programs. Yeah, it was it, the energy. You could just feel it, and 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 people were. I think I think I think part of the success of all of these programs is not treating the students and the under 18s to the kids' table, i.e. Oh, by the way, the back two rows are good for the students, <laughs> or or you know if if there's a great seat available and a subscriber exchanges out of it. Put a young person in the seat. It's not a big deal. In fact, the audience love to see young people sitting around them and engaged fully. And it just happens they get a price break. Yeah. Um, I think it's a huge point. It's a huge point for, for all of us that are thinking, oh, I've got to get rid of the back three rows of the balcony. How am I going to do it? Oh, young people. It's such an insult. You know? Oh, totally. What did Milt say? Did Milt, did he, did he observe changes? Well, yeah, he's, he's, he, he can see, I mean, particularly at Blossom, when you go out um, to Blossom and it's a, it's a 20,000 seat venue and you've got 10,000 people there, which is, which is good for us. Um, and there's so many young people there, you can't miss it. And he's just like, I remember, uh, you know, someone uh, uh, about a year or two into this, I was doing a, a, a newspaper interview about how it had gone. And they said, so um, what motivates you? What, what's made it successful? And I'm like, well, 
quite simply, I have to go and see the donor every year report out. And there's nothing like just the simple question, well, how's it going, Ross? <laughs> For you to like, I better get on with this, you know, and 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 take it pretty seriously. And he noticed and he's he's he even said on one occasion, it's so good, you know, you give you give philanthropic gifts, it's really good to see real results happening in real time. Right, right. You know. So he's very happy with it. I'm looking at your data that you shared with me in in the 10-11 season, 8% of your audiences were 25 years old and younger. And, and that's I, just, that's an arbitrary line I've made that most students will be under 25. So yeah, yeah, I, I, it's not like I can ask it's, particularly. It's, yeah, no, it's, <laughs> fair. it's a fair delineation. But by the fiscal 19, 18-19, it was 20%. And that, you know, to have 20% of your audiences be comprised of younger people is a is a massive positive change, but it's also um, two hundred thousand young people plus their families, fifty percent new, and and it drove revenue up. You know, there was there's a there's a risk. Everyone's like, you know, if if only eight thousand, and those are those eight thousand are essentially students at that time, right? They're not. They're not under 18s because very few would have been bought a ticket pre this, right? Um, so to see the revenue growth, so you you assess is there a, is there a risk going on here? Um, initially, no. Uh, I didn't see one. We're going to, you know, we can increase the students, therefore the revenue will go up. And we'll talk about students in a second. And then the the under 18s, if these are 50% new households, these are the people that were sitting at home going, oh, let's just take the kids to the movie, right? right. And right. and uh, therefore, we're, we're, we're carving out some of that wallet too. So Right, 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 right. Okay, so let's talk about students. There's the Student Advantage Program, the Student Ambassadors Program, and Frequent Fan Cards. So... Yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, well, so so the 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 student advantage was always there. It's not like the the this was just we had to reinvigorate those eight thousand you talked about before the Center for Future Audiences. Yeah. essentially were registered students um, who who could buy a discounted ticket before they came. Okay. The, the the beauty of this was was thinking of it again, opening the door because they could only sit in certain sections. Right. Um, it was definitely, definitely um, uh, segregated to some degree. And um, thinking about how often they came. So I think we did the research um, uh, that we had something like 60, that we have something like 60,000 students within 30 miles, whether it's Case, Cleveland State, as, as far away as Baldwin Wallace. We have a lot of students uh, close by. Yeah. And um, they were. We worked out they were coming like one, just over one, maybe one point two times a year. And I wondered if, and this was a shot in the dark without research. I wondered if, and I noticed they were all coming early in the season. So I presumed the professors were saying, "You have to go to the Cleveland Orchestra, right?" And it was tick the box, and that's off off their list. And I wondered if it was they were running out of money. As a parent, I know you <laughs> kids run out of money towards the end of the second semester, specifically in the spring. And I thought if I could get, we started selling frequent fan cards, which were 
a $50 purchase, there's still a $50 purchase. It makes no difference whether it's 50, 60, or 70, but it's still a $50 purchase. You can come free as a student to any concert, um, assuming that there are tickets that the Cleveland Orchestra is doing at Severance. And um, we found that students took us up on this. They spent their 50 bucks. They only had to go more than three times to get their money back. And, you know, great date night. And we saw the numbers going up in the spring when they were running out of money. (laughs) You know, they still had something to do on a Saturday night. Right. So the frequency Um, went from 1.2 to 5. Yeah, over yeah, over five, just just super. So it's it's better than it's it's better than ever. And um, people were people took us up on the offer, and it's 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 better than having to pay for a house when people actually are willingly paying for it and coming. And yeah. we were we were getting more money per student than we ever had before. Right. So now you've got thirteen hundred of these cards issued. Yeah, at our peak, it was over. Nearly nineteen hundred, I think. Uh-huh. Um, oh, I see that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then into the into the pandemic, uh, it, it dropped it dropped off quite a bit naturally. Uh, yeah, we're all growing back again, and it's on its you, way back. It's yeah, like, it's, it's such a good deal. And we've had um, we've had uh, we've had uh, lots of um, we've had universities actually buy them for the students, which is nice rather than doing it individually. Because one of the challenges, and I'll get on to the ambassadors as a result of this, one of the challenges is um, people have asked me, well, how have you done all this? It's really, really tiring, really exhausting work, really on the ground. Uh, It's setting up tables at at university welcome um, events. It's very hands-on. It's very, very day-to-day. And it's not necessarily lucrative so it's not easy work and the students are always leaving right Right. built-in churn right so it's constant churn and um so one of the things we we brought in with these ambassadors we would give them a fan card and say can you just go and work work your work here for us yeah right and some of them are great there was some of them have come from quite a long way away there's the guy that used to come from um Fredoria College in in New York, and he would get a van and he would he would fill it with his friends and bring them down. He would do the whole wow. concierge thing. Wow, wow! I mean, he was probably our super ambassador. But that, but but it 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 sort of just creates um, an ability to to make sure your marketing department don't have to do. Um, it's so it's so time intensive, and after the pandemic when you're trying to get everybody else back, this is one of the things that's slower to crank up again. It's a really clever, um, it's a really clever way to address the, the investment need for this kind of program pre or post pandemic, how we spend our time and money. Yes. I know something you obsess about uh, as a person who really has always focused on revenue and the return on that. So it's, and it also, you know, it's so much different to see a friend recommend or someone my own age, someone who looks more like me recommending something like that than somebody who's our age or somebody who, you know, doesn't. Well, you're, you're a teacher and I'm a, I'm a teacher, right? And, you know, the number one, I teach, I teach marketing to arts, or, uh, arts administrators of the future. And I'm like, look, the number one thing, hands over fist, it doesn't matter how good my ad is, it's word of mouth, isn't it? It's 90% better than anything else. So... Word right. of mouth is the answer here. Um, right. 
how, how much did you, I actually didn't ask you, do you recall, or do you know now how much you have to invest in the under 18s program? How much of your budget gets allocated ish, either on a percentage or a real? I can't, I can't, I can't answer that right off the top. I could probably, it's hardly anything now. Uh-huh. You okay. know, it's just tagged in every brochure. Yeah, right. You know. okay. That makes good sense. And for um, the student program, is it mostly time? It's or is, um, it, or is there a budget, you know? There, there's a budget and it goes through essentially our, our group sales um, operation. Okay. Um, do a great job with this. And, um, and that uh, makes sense. there's a small budget, you know. Uh, we should probably increase it. We should probably reflect on, on how much um, we do spend on it. but. As things got tight coming out this <laughs> coming out this crisis, we, we we looked at it, but it feels like it's time for a reinvestment. Yeah, and do you know um, what on an annual basis how much students deliver on an income on the income side? On the income side, I remember uh, running it. It was it was about a third of a million at one point. Uh huh. Um, so that's not so it's not insecure. It's way no. more than it ever was. Right. Right. That's you know. Consequential, and so I say I ask these questions because it's important to celebrate an investment in future audiences, and the income side of it is in, is certainly philanthropic. I mean, it's certainly th- philanthropic, but these programs are also delivering income. So we've got fifty percent of under eighteen households new. We've got parents buying tickets for themselves. That's a new revenue stream, completely brand new revenue stream for the orchestra. Then you have the student programs. Now, you, if you operate in a market that only has one small college, the scale would be different. Maybe the decision to invest here might be different. But if you operate in a market like Cleveland, where there's multiple universities and multiple pathways, um, this is certainly something to be looking at. Let's move to then the last category of the um, programs under the Center for Future Audiences. And these are new programs, um, members clubs, members club rather, and TCO rewards. These are these are um, these are programs, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but are they are purposefully different than the subscription offering. What was the genesis? What was the need and sense of urgency? No, we're, we're going to talk about the death of subscription anyway. But but my belief, and I, I've always been, I mean, back to, back to in Detroit, I mean, I've always believed that there is a solution that is omnipotent. <laughs> and I've tried a lot of things that are really bad. Like when Priceline came in with name your own price, I was the first in Detroit to like, yeah, name your own price, people. And I, I'm not going to tell you how embarrassing that was and, and how low the average value of a seat turned out to be. But I've always believed that... This is a story I don't know. I, I'm super, like, seriously, did people lowball it? Did it Did it go? Oh, 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 okay. So so it came out at, like, um, uh, $1.58 was, was what... And I'll tell you, there's a wake-up call to, to, to what you think. I mean, I, I would be embarrassed to offer... Smokes. You know... No, we could turn some down, but it was an interesting experiment. But anyway, that's a completely completely on the side. But I've always believed there's a there's an egalitarian approach to 
to making sure there's something for everyone. And this, there's always, I thought, been a gap between a curated subscription and a single ticket buyer. Right. I agree. And as the world has changed from uh, this notion, have you ever, have you ever read, um, uh, what's the book? Uh, Bowling. uh, Oh, I know the book. Bowling. I know when you say that word. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, We'll have to Google it. Anyway, the the, the concept's all about, um, the concept here is about how Americans' values have changed from um, uh, being belonging to flexibility and uh, how belonging is still important. But but things like bowling leagues, uh, orchestra subscriptions, uh, churches, all have got to embrace flexibility somehow. And I've always thought that, that the, the fixed-seat curated package has... Um, has has in this day and age it's impossible for me to ask in february or march somebody to make their plans for the june of next year and with the netflixes of the world <laughs> where i don't know if your credit card bills the same as mine but at the end of every month i'm like how many 599s do i need right, right? completely i believe this model could work in our business to for for especially when you've when the number of doctors that I heard from like I can't subscribe I just don't know but I want to come a lot so for a monthly a monthly fee which is 29 which program uh, are we talking about which one this is the members club yep okay for 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 a monthly fee of $29 you become a, a year round member and you can use this at blossom you can use this at seventy you could use it in Miami where we perform as well right. in fact awesome. if you wanted to go to Europe I'd get you these tickets wow and um and you can come to as many concerts as you like for $10 a pop steeply discounted tickets um as long as you're a member of the members club and the the people that are enrolled in it, which is which is over three hundred at the moment, um, it's become a fiercely protective group of make sure you don't get rid of it. They love it because they can just book their seats for ten dollars a pop, and if they like the concert so much, they can come three times in a row. We don't care. And the the members club. Do you know what the average frequency is in any given year? Um, it was it was up over six, um, and I think it's growing. Um, it's the first of our subscription packages to come back, actually, right. to to normalize after right. the pandemic. Um, people are spreading out. If you if you add up the amount of money they're spending at twenty nine a month and the ten dollar tickets they buy, it is an equivalent of a curated package. We're not losing a penny over it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, and they've got this flexibility to use it in the summer, right? They can just go to Blossom. Right. Which, so, um, you have private receptions and other things for them? Are you, are you curating experiences for this group of people? Um, we were. We did some research about, about um, uh, just before the pandemic, we did some research on what are you – what are you wanting from this uh-huh. program? Yeah. And and meeting each other was not one of them. Uh-huh. That's so and I don't, I don't mean I don't mean that as an insult. They just didn't want to be part. I don't want to be a member of this club that wants to be members with me, sort of thing. I like I like the flexibility. I like to go with my partner. I like to just use it. And we found that it was very value oriented. 
Uh-huh. Um, so a members' night behind the scenes is not. That's much more in the in the category of what we do with our young professionals group, say the circle, right? Um, where you're joining for a social experience, right? Right. But right. this is very very much a, seems a transactional uh-huh. um, experience, which which is fine by me as well. You yeah. launched this in the fall of 2016, so 2016 uh, 17 season. And you did find that research also found that it was younger mid-career professionals who were um, attending. Is that still through this channel? Is that it is. It is this. It's this. It's this gap um, that we found in people who had sort of graduated. I mean, you're going to you're going to help me tell that story, but I'm hoping it's the people that graduated through whether it's a student program or an under 18s or a young professionals program who wanted to subscribe, but really didn't want to be told what to do, when to do it. Um, and we, we found that these, these, these people are absolutely in that category. Yeah. Now, okay. it, we never, we're just beginning to ramp up the marketing again. Um, we never really, you know, we have we have this gap in the middle of <laughs> of everything going to hell. So, um, but we never we never sort of have taken the next step. I believe, but we've now got, for example, our telemarketing operations now offer that as a as a as a, as a subscription uh-huh. option. Um, so the members club around three hundred, and the circle around 100 right now, but had been 300, we're in this, we're in this period. The difference, the target audience or the people addressed are similar. The difference is the circle is a circle of friends and I do some things with them. And the members club is my path transactionally for flexibility and value. Correct. That's absolutely, that's, that's beautiful way to put it. The, the, the circle is as much a fundraising, um, activity yeah. as a, as yeah. a venue. so so some of their events might be tailgating out at blossom uh-huh. together uh-huh. right before right. a concert rather than rather than um it's a purely transactional thing and they they will do eight to ten of these events a year yeah um and it's much more structured uh, yeah so it's a, it's a slightly different pitch you know the um uh we're going to get to rewards here in a minute which is truly something new but a couple of thoughts occur. One is that at TRG, prior to the pandemic, you know well that we were focused on allocating resources for the biggest return. And this market segment called, you know, 18 to 30 was notoriously difficult. And there was lots of data that talked about, um, you know, a lack of frequency, lack of um, philanthropy, just you know, I used to tell the story that my dad was a classical music subscriber and I asked him, were you in your 20s? And he laughed and said, of course not. And um, in the context of all of our eyes being on 2030 and 2040, which I think I celebrate so much, the fact that the pandemic woke us up to the realities of change in our communities and the realities of the need to really think about how we sustainably operate and move past what's right in front of us to what's in front of us here in a decade or so. And that's, that's, that's demographic change in communities everywhere in the West. And these kinds of programs that um, find a way to allow 
younger and different people a path in to the fine performing arts. Let's just call it. And I'd put theater in that camp too, even though, you know, that's not um, the intention hardly ever. Theater is probably the most it tries to be. And, and I, I think in many ways is the most accessible. Um, these kind of programs are, are, they feel really important. So I, I just want to say that and name that to people who might know me and heard me say things or have heard TRG speak to these things. Uh, I think you're right. And I think, I think it's about, um, I mean, people aren't, people aren't dumb. right? And they just need to give it a run. And I don't for the life of me believe that, that you go to the, I mean, many people do believe that you go to the, the Cleveland orchestra and you're immediately in love. I reckon four in every hundred that happens to, right. That's the, it seems to be the industry standard, but, but, that's not to say you shouldn't know that the, the door's open to you. And I don't think from a marketing perspective, we do ourselves any favor when we've tried in the past, and maybe it's just just the way I think about it, but we've tried to, and I've, I've definitely been guilty of this, um, uh, familiarize or colloquialize or call our maestro Gustavo or, 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 or whatever it is, Actually, the crowd wants sincerity. They want to know that we're going to still wear the proper kit and take them very seriously. They just want the flexibility of the access to, to keep with it. So when our brands drift, and I'm not opposed to a 45-minute concert with lots of drinking. Get, don't get me wrong. But when our brands drift to that's the play and not the music and not the not the experience, I think um, we, we, we sometimes get in danger of just sort of drifting away and not dealing with, with what we're good at. You know, people want us to do what we're good mm-hmm. at. I love that. That, <laughs> that, I, that, I think... That, I think, is super interesting in the era of, oh, my God, panic. Oh, my God, there has to be a silver bullet. Oh, my God, we're going to turn ourselves into a pretzel. Oh, my God, it's price. It's this. It's that. The subscription is dying. Oh, my God, we're dying. And at the Cleveland Orchestra, subscription, fixed seat, curated subscription has been a model for Decades and decades and decades. There is still, what's the largest subscription package curated that you have? 2024, 20, 20, maybe 22 this year. But, but the, the, I mean, it's it's nonsense, really, to think that anyway. You know, back in the, I, I tell this story a lot. Back in, back in I've got this, I've got this chart of, of our subscription sales from 1986. Yeah. And we, I believe, were probably the last orchestra that used to always sell out on subscription. Right? Yes. I mean, yeah. it's just like, yeah. it was, I mean, Rick was probably in charge and it was, it was all about, you know. Remember the story. And, and, you know, we were at 95%, 100% house fill every week, and it was all sold in subscriptions, so we could care less about a single ticket buyer, right? And then as subscriptions wane, right, over the, the next 50, 40 years or whatever, um, we, we forgot to care about single ticket buyers and, and realized, oh, my God. But back in 1986, only 8,000 households bought all the tickets. It was just a great big country club. And you can imagine what they looked like, right? And the profile of, of those people. And and how exclusionary must that have been for those 8,000 households to buy all the tickets? And at the end of the year, I suspect, 
and I'm, 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 I'm being dramatic here, but I suspect it was like a country club where they divide up the, the fundraising bill between those 8,000 households. Right. right? And, to balance the books. And, 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 and. Uh, yeah. We, we forgot, we forgot to market in your case to single ticket buyers, but I still see, this is part of the argument that you and I've had before. I, I believe that the question today is not, is the subscription dead and gone? But what is the, what are both two things? What are the tactics? Mm -mm, mm -mm. What are the strategies that we're using to encourage people to enjoy and value a subscription and remember that if you dig classical music, if you actually dig it, there is, there is a benefit to having these dates in your calendar and these seats that you enjoy. And what we don't invest in, we do not invest in is the retention of and the selling of it. And it was the late eighties, early nineties when clever marketing staff began to go, Oh, we're going to start surveying audiences about what they want. We're going to start using market research. And we believe that the subscription is a model that is dying. And because we believe it, we let it happen. Do I think that it's the most, that it's the only Avenue? Absolutely not. It's both and. But the decline, you know, when recurring revenues and subscription is growing in every other industry, why it is so welcomed to be dead in ours? Like I could be on a soapbox for years about this. Well, I, 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 conceptually, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a break here in my mind between the academic and the, and, and the practical reality of, I agree with you. I don't believe subscribing is dead. I believe that the 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 way we do it institutionally is based on our ticketing systems having to be built a certain way <laughs> like like we we're flying a plane and therefore so so you go to most of our websites uh, and and the first question you're asked is what day of the week do you want to come and I'm like for for 20 years I've been apoplectic but why don't we ask the customers what they'd like to see? But, oh, no, the system has to tell you you've got to go into the Thursdays before I can tell you what the concerts are. And until we can rework the way, like, stop thinking about ourselves and think yeah, about boy, what boy, the customers boy. experience. Boy. Gosh. And it's based on our ticketing system. So we're based on our practical. And I've worked with these with ticketing systems, not the one we use now, but, 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 but. You know, back in back in the early um, before I got into when I was in the UK, I worked on a ticket with a ticketing system company, and it it was all about um, well, it's built this way, and we don't want to create spaghetti. I get it, and that was the early days of computers. It just seems to me now, with and I don't know anything about AI, so I'm about to get into enormous amounts of trouble. But with all that stuff, I should just be able to go onto the Cleveland Orchestra website, click the buttons of concerts I'm interested in, and it puts a package together for me and then sells me the seat that's available. So there um, it is, ladies and gentlemen. The next, that's, that's the, I agree with you entirely. If we stop. Because I could do that for just about totally, everything else. Totally, 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 totally. So, and so I'm not opposed to yes. the death of the, uh, the death of the subscription concept. I'm just, death of this packaging of the subscription concept may be my academic sort of right, right. jump off. I bought a subscription in my local community and I couldn't get there a lot of the time. Um, 
in some markets that flex the flexibility to they allowed me to exchange everywhere and anywhere so that I could get to the end of the season and still feel like there was some level of value. And we are not always very flexible about that. You know, it's these systems are arcane and they're they were built in the 80s and we still act like it's the 80s in lots of places. And 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 I feel sometimes I probably think like the 80s more than most people, but Again, it's about playing this long game. I want I want you to not panic about I mean, go back to the members club. When we did the re- when we did the research, what was the number one panic that was on their minds? The number one panic that was on their minds was like, and no disrespect to Southwest Southwest Airlines, but oh my god, the seating is not reserved. Right? <laughs> Am I going to get a good seat? So we, all we had to all we had to do was yeah because we're going to allow you to do it more than three weeks in advance or something you know you can do it when you're ready, um, and and sort of cr- cr- creating those those barriers. But listening to what the people were saying, um, I just want you as someone who's going to come to the Cleveland Orchestra to find a path that works, mm-hmm. right, and not have. Um, mm-hmm. Loads of bugs. So if you want to fix it and us to curate it, trust yeah. me, that's not going away. It's still the biggest revenue, still the biggest revenue stream for the least cost that we have. It's just going to, and our goal is always to how slow can we make that decline? And if you get a new music director or you open a new building, or well, whatever the three things are that always make it boost, yep. you get a little bump back up and then you let it you let it go. But it's managing well, that- for that. The future audiences is about the future mechanisms for audiences to engage. And in the circle, in the members club, you've got younger than the traditional audience. Um, I think this is also true with TCO Rewards. This, this is brand spanking new. So Rewards is a points program. Yeah, um, I get in trouble when I call it you know, points for, for uh-huh. play. So, it's, it's really... Um, uh, it's you're you're not earning money, right? But you are getting rewarded for coming. <laughs> so yeah. if you're a subscriber, you get points, right? And we want you to use it for upgraded experiences. Um, we uh, it's a slight that's a slight nuance, but we've only we've sort of only just started it in August of 2022. Um, the the initial results are, are sort of extraordinarily good. Um, so wait a minute, describe it. You, if you apply or or enroll in the rewards program, then you there's a system that is outside of Tessitura or outside of your CRM that helps you manage Jill's transactions and receive rewards for those transactions, regardless of what it is. Do I receive a reward for philanthropic engagement? Uh, yes, and you you receive a, war, a reward for watching our videos, and you receive a reward for um, watching content. So, so we went with this. We went with uh, a product called CrowdTwist that is, is powered by Oracle. Okay, and they do things like Disney, Marvel, Red Bull Racing for Formula One is the wow. is the wow wow wow. Yeah. Um, and and we're sort of. We're sort of the nonprofit. Yeah, <laughs> we're sort of the nonprofit. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you're but, cute. But but it but it's really to engage people in loyalty, and we're finding it's mostly single ticket buyers, which is the entire goal to get single ticket buyers to come more often. Um, we're we're finding um, that 
I mean, early research showed that 26% of, we did two pools, people who were in the rewards program and people who weren't, and the people that were in the rewards program spent 26% more. Um, That's meaningful. That's meaningful. Potentially. I mean, we're only a year in, exactly a year in. And, but we've, the enrollment is way ahead of our pace. It's, it's sort of 20,000 people now have enrolled. Wow. Um, and, and how are you marketing it? And they're now, they're getting to the point now where they've got enough points to do stuff. So that's going to be the interesting next, because they didn't have enough to buy things, but we're seeing people upgrade into box seats and use it for, for, for all sorts of things or, or merchandise or whatever. Um, but that's going to be the next thing. Will they spend their points or will they hoard them till I eventually have to fly them to Europe for three weeks and, and <laughs> with the orchestra? Do you have systems that enable, do you know when I walk into the concert hall that I'm a rewards member? Uh, no, not necessarily, except you, you know, when you beep on Tessitura, you're going to get your points automatically. When you, when you, so you get rewarded just for coming. So there's a, you get rewarded for subscribing. Right. And then you get rewarded on top of that for coming, for right. showing up. Right, right, right. Or making sure somebody does show up. You there's, know? There's, a, um, there's an app. I, and I actually don't know um, if it still exists, but a former colleague of mine uh, left TRG way early in our business and went and became, you know, um, a real leader in tech. And he was involved in a, an app called Experience app that was used in sports. And it, it used Beacon technology so that when I walked up, when I walk up to the venue and I'm a subscriber or other defined loyalist, it, it directs me on my cell phone to specific lines, specific benefits, specific things. And I think about this kind of program and I think about the resources that not everyone has, but you know, in the context of tech today, these these costs are going way down to build this technology in. And I think about that at Blossom or at Severance as a well, so, We're certainly working on our our, our, our our app, our TCO app. Okay. And and that is part of a later phase where you will be able to to, to go and you know, zap in for your for your points. Yeah. But it's encouraging. We'll we'll see how it goes. But I'm I'm excited by it. I mean, I think it it's something that um people obviously love to do. I mean, we just had a, a call yesterday from someone who feared their points were going to expire. If you haven't logged in for a year, your your points expire and was having a panic attack. What could I buy? What could I buy? <laughs> it's like, don't worry, I'll make it sure they don't run out. You just relax. <laughs> Okay, so twenty thousand households, and of the people who are purchasing um, that 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 use that rewards program, compared to people who look like them who aren't, we get we're getting twenty six percent more engagement, more participation, and frequency. So there's we're a year in, but there's a there there. So well, it's it's very very early. I mean, who who knows? But um, uh, I'm just really excited. It tends to be the single ticket patrons that are that right. Are. Right. Um, and having the capacity and ability to track not just ticketing and subscription philanthropy, the transactions, but also your your engagement with online content. There's really interesting um, applications there to um, organizations, especially actually um, as we're starting to invest more in digital. We are because we learned during the pandemic how important those resources are. Um, 
and getting people to engage with that kind of content too is is really interesting to me. Okay, so I want to I want to before we go talk about a reality that everyone's facing right now, which is there's a lot of staff churn, um, and there's been a lot of transition during the past three and a half years, and there's no question that these kinds of programs, we've talked about it, they require systems, they require people, they require a focus on an investment, a focus on new and on retention. And um, even in a big organization like the the Cleveland Orchestra, um, the pressures to focus on the now and the things that are immediate and urgent, I know are ferocious. How, how do you, with your team, stay focused on growing frequency, growing loyalty, growing the future while you're in the maelstrom of recovering from the present? Wow, um, that's a good question. I think, I think, I mean, I think we suffer like, like most, and, and, and fundamentally, I think it's my job if there was something about my job, it's to run interference to make sure we can stay and play the long game. <laughs> we're always that we're always playing the long game. Um, we 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 actually we've we have um, uh, a position which is a, a, a patron advancement officer for want of a better term. That's that's John's title, and it actually he he's the one that came with the rewards idea, and he's the one that 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 is always looking about this funnel, right? Let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's make sure the funnel is at least um, the wide enough for fundraising to have an even money chance right? and, and grow that. So we can be putting all the, the we can expand the, the front end all we like through the Center for Future Audiences with our students and young people and all that. But if there isn't somebody absolutely focused on, on, on making sure that pipeline and that that um, connection and that communication is there. Now it's really, really, really hard because you're right. Um, each marketing person is only as good as the last gig, usually in our business. Um, we're like baseball. I've often said we're like baseball managers. You go on a bit of a losing streak. It's it's time to move on, right? Um, and and we don't do a good job of, of marketing brand. We do a we we market a new car every week, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And so the focus on the short term is 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 relentless, and it's one of the things I, I've I've not necessarily successfully changed, or I know how to think about it. But um, uh, you're always so having somebody dedicated to that process is a good idea. Um, that make to making sure that they're thinking about the wider opportunity here. Um, but you're right. The turnover is dramatic. People, it's hard enough in our business. I don't know if it's the same. You should tell me in, in theater and other, in other, uh, disciplines, but it's hard enough getting to grips with what we do each week in our product and the nuances. And then there's all the unsaid things about marketing in our business that, oh, you can't do that because, you know, you know, so-and-so is going to have a fit, you know, and, and, and. All that takes so long to learn to be thinking about the big picture, and I think it. I think it clouds us. I think it blocks our ability to to behave like other industries would. So I go back to the subscription model. You know, oh, we've built them like this for a hundred years. Why are we going to change that? And we've been talking about the death of audiences since 
1920, right? So, um, and it hasn't happened. So why would anyone believe us? So in order to break these silos, I think, you know, the person that's sitting in the chair actually has to uh, not panic (laughs) at the first sign of, of audience decline or a couple of bad weeks. Um, and and really say, what about those people and how are they doing and have we looked after them recently and have you noticed they haven't been coming or have they been coming? Or So we were just talking about you could beep in and you get rewarded for not for coming as a subscriber. Well, have we checked that the person isn't, that isn't beeping in? You know, what's... You know, as long as nothing horrible has gone wrong here, let's find out what it would take for them to give their tickets away. Right. I heard it's it's the the reason I was so compelled to have this conversation with you, Ross, is because this is the Cleveland Orchestra, and and it's it's actually proper to use that emphasis in this context. It's a long. There are so many long held traditions of an institution this big with this much. Um, excellence behind it and and future in front of it and to be leading the way on new models in the context of this organization that is big and fussy and tradition bound in many respects but to have um this kind of innovation happening and to have someone with your experience, tenure and title be able to speak to conversations that I just had and we just had with a patron. Um, that suggests um, that there is opportunity for all of us. Like if we can do it here, then it can be done. Um, things can be challenged. And new ways can be created. Uh, I believe fervently in the subscription, as you as you know. I also could not agree more loudly that the ways that we do it think about us. We we are so focused on what we need. There was somebody in a, a blog recently who posted that our marketing techniques in arts and culture are so dated. And so not current that it's really kind of embarrassing. And I thought, boy, oh boy, is that spot on. And he was republishing a blog from like 15 years ago. I am, um, I, 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 in my teaching, I, I read some of those blogs and I'm like, you're so right. We're so talking about how great we are. Stop it. Stop it now, people. Don't talk about how great you are because we've A, run out of superlatives and B, um, it just can't be more virtuosic than last week. So can we get can we get on with it and 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 say it's different or or, or acknowledge? And our brands are are terribly. I remember you you said it I, when I left Detroit. You um you said to me, well well done. Um, you at the Cleveland Orchestra. I'm not sure that's. And I'm like just thinking about your your summation and, and maybe it is because it was like this that that I think it's really important uh, for anybody in, in a marketing position to sort of 
bully your way into a seat at the table. I know artistic are always going to lead in most of our arts organizations, artistic direction, music directors. I get it. I get it. And I'm never going to tell them what to play. It's part of the authentic way that we show up, though. Your point it is. We, need, we, we don't want you to turn yourself into be authentically excellent and remember that we're here. <laughs> I know. Like, like there's, there's, there's a crowd that love it, and that's okay. It's, it's, it's not, it's not, um, and, and you're right, you know, back in, back in the, the, the George Zell's days, probably of this, the Cleveland Orchestra, the, the, the audience was probably just an annoyance, quite frankly, uh-huh, right. great music making. And now, right, right, right. And that's what makes an orchestra that great in the first place, because they don't, they're totally blinkered on making great music. So therefore the Cleveland Orchestra benefits from that. And I think now we have a place where people are like, and we've got a huge audience that bloody love us. And it's it, with Adela and all the digital platforms, we've got an opportunity to to go, oh, there's that little train really can do it. You know what I mean? And it's so cool. It's it's great fun to be part of. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's just that there's an awful lot of things to think about day in, day out. Well, I have really admired your leadership. You're right. When I, when you got the gig, we had worked together in Detroit, and you know, um, your approach has been always to keep the customer at the center and to use your phrase, "bully your way in." Um, you aren't that. You you find a way to charm your way in and to find a way to help people be reminded about the power of. Um, the music and the impact on the customer, but let's remember the customer and let's not be afraid to test and learn and try and fail. Um, it's why at the beginning I said, you know, we're going to talk in the spring and there will be, there will be things that we aren't, you know, we wish had worked differently and I'm confident we'll talk about it and we'll laugh about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, Certainly orchestras, I, I, as I say, I don't have enough experience with the rest of the, the arts to, to suggest it, but um, certainly with the orchestras. I mean, you go to league conferences and there was, always, there was always the person with the silver bullet, right, standing up doing the presentation. And then you're like, a year later you would go and you're like, wonder how that went, but you never heard from it again because everyone's so afraid to fail. You're right, there's nothing... There's nothing wrong. I mean, you're making educated guesses with with data as best you can, and in this day and age, we're probably um, we're more equipped than ever to make it. And you know, down the road, more people will have more opportunities to make data driven decisions. They will. But, uh, yeah, you know. they will. technology is is going to enable data to become so much more easily available. And- but that's but it's really important that everybody still keeps their identity somewhat unique. So whatever your your brand of your arts organization is, I mean, I can see, you know how, um, well, what's a good example? Malls have become generic with the same shops and the same orders because they're data-driven and they know if they're next to, if they're next to so-and-so, they do better and it's all tiny margins. If if we all get to a place where we're all doing exactly the same thing because we don't have those different identities, like LA, New York, and Cleveland, three very very different identity orchestras, and great, so they should be. Um, we should be using best practice, um, probably a bit more. But at the same time, there's no one 
customer in those three markets. Yeah, right? no question. And most of the most of the customers for any arts and cultural institution are local. I mean, you have a national audience, a global audience, but m- most of your audiences are local on a volume basis. Whether and that's almost yeah, uh, all and- our all our revenue is going to come through the local because it's it's about pride. It's like you still whatever university you went to, you're probably more prone to to give to that one than the one you live next door to, right? <laughs> and in the context of, I, I I hear and second your caution, data. It's like back in the days of dynamic pricing, and we all just wanted models that would make that happen automatically for us. We can't ever stop managing decisions and allowing technology to just do everything for us, including in the age of AI, when we know we've got to use technology to help make things faster and smarter and more us more capable, but we have to be our most authentic experience differentiated and communicated effectively and use data to make, I believe, the the best decisions around um, recurring and renewable income. Because it just, you said it earlier, the subscription is still the largest proportion of income at that cost ratio. And that's, therein lies the 2030 and 2040 question from TRG's point of view. How do we create renewable lower cost income and not just transactional but relationships that you know that that our customers enjoy and that we enjoy following on listen i could talk to you for a long long time and have over time but we will talk again in the spring on this on this same podcast and we will revisit the center for future audiences and share what we've learned about the migration and change and sort of um, long-term impact of of this of this investment that um, Milt and others endorsed and made so possible through their giving, and that you through your leadership, I mean that um, make possible and and really continue to invest in. Thank you so much for talking to. Thank me. you, Jill. Appreciate it. That's all for this episode of Leading the Way with Jill S. Robinson, brought to you by TRG Arts. Thanks for listening and believing that insightful, daring, and innovative leadership is the way to a more resilient future for the arts and cultural industry. Make sure to subscribe to Leading the Way on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you found this episode helpful, please rate and review the show. For additional resources and to sign up for the podcast newsletter, we invite you to visit our website at leadingthewaypodcast.com.